Broken trust can be healed, but it's not just time that's going to heal it. You need clear guidance about what to do and what not to do. I'm Jeff Stewart, licensed marriage and family therapist, and I've developed a free video course called The First Steps to Rebuilding Trust. This course will show you what's needed to begin healing after betrayal. I offer guidance for the betrayed partner as well as the partner who broke the trust. You can access it for free right now by clicking the link in the show notes. I am thrilled to have Michelle Linford back on the podcast. She did two episodes with me some time ago, and they've actually been very popular episodes, and so I wanted to have her back on to continue discussing recovery topics. And today, well, first of all, welcome, Michelle. Thank you. It's (laughs) great to be here. So today, we are going to talk about sexual wholeness in recovery. And boy, what a big topic, right? I mean, this just can take in so many different uh, aspects, but... Specifically, one thing that I think Michelle and I are really interested in covering today is really how to discern uh, the difference between what is healthy, what is unhealthy when couples are trying to uh, negotiate and navigate this emotional, sexual, relational minefield of, of sexual recovery. There's just so much misinformation in pornography, in in our mass media culture today, frankly, about bodies, about men, women, sexuality, that a lot of couples are not sure where the target is exactly in terms of trying to have sexual wholeness and rebuild their marriage, especially in the wake of betrayal. And we want to talk about principles and ideas and thoughts around um, how people can start to maybe find some touch points and some guideposts to help them make sense of and have good conversations in their relationship. So this podcast today is obviously for couples that are in recovery from pornography, sexual addiction, betrayal, trauma, but also for anyone who is helping or supporting them. And also parents, as you start to talk to your young people, uh, whether you're teenagers or young single adults who are preparing for marriage, just about some of these principles as well, as well because it applies really to anyone who is interested in what healthy sexuality looks like. Michelle? Yeah, this, like you said, this is a there, there are so many facets to this topic and, mm. and what we could address, but I'm excited to be able to to have a conversation about it. And and like you said, I think it could be applicable for anyone. I, need, I would even like to add singles, mm-hmm. those who are dating, yeah. um, whether young adult or, you know, older adult, that, that I hope we can get to principles that can be helpful for, for anyone. Yeah, because our sexuality is not something that we just put on a shelf when we're single or even, you know, if you're working through relationship issues or betrayal issues. It's just a part of who we are, like our emotions or our bodies. And so it's something that we need to make peace with and understand. Yeah. Yes, exactly. One thing that, that I know you and I talked about prior to this is this uh, this concept of wholeness, that pornography and um, just I think even trauma and other things tends to tends to isolate and split us up almost into parts. Um, and certainly in pornography, for example, there's such an emphasis on certain acts or techniques or body parts, or you know, it just isolates the the body and the and the and the experience as a as a solo act or as something disconnected from intimacy or certain body parts. And there just seems to be a lot of division. And so this concept of sexual wholeness, of, of really bringing everything together to have a different type of experience, 
is, uh, is something that I think needs to be talked about when couples and individuals are trying to make peace with and heal sexually. What, what would you say about that? Mm, I love the concept of wholeness um, on many fronts. I think, I think some of it relates back to what we talked about before that, especially if you're, if you're dealing with, um, if your marriage has or relationship has been affected by pornography or lust or trauma or, you know, has been, has been thrown off by these things. Um, by definition, it's already not whole. It's, it's not well. Mm-hmm. And, and we, we talked about how sobriety, you know, just, just stopping behaviors that are problematic is not the full goal that recovery is what you're looking for. That recovery becomes a more whole souled new way of living, looking at emotional health and mental health and, and physical health and relational health. It becomes a more whole solution. And, and I think that that element comes back into the conversation, you know, um, and I, I also think just about how, how our culture uh, around us often fragments sexuality out as being its own thing, its own end in and of itself, um, separate from the wholeness of, of a relationship and, and, and how relationships, a marriage is, is supposed to be the bringing together of all, all the parts of, of, of the couple's life. Um, this is something that a lot of my thoughts on, on this topic has been, have been influenced by a talk given by Jeffrey Holland back in 1988 when he was president of BYU and he repeated something similar in 1998 when he was, um, general authority. And I think by then he was an apostle, but he talks about that this, the, the, the act of, of marital intimacy is a symbol of that wholeness. It's a symbol of bringing all, all of the pieces of the puzzle together, the, the shared life, the shared dreams, the shared work, the shared struggles, the shared family, everything and I, I really appreciate that that view of the whole because because then then sex has its proper place in that whole rather than being an end in and of itself. This is a quote from Victor L. Brown. He said fragmentation enables its users to counterfeit intimacy. If we relate to each other in fragments, at best, we miss full relationships. At worst, we manipulate and exploit others for our gratification. Sexual fragmentation can be particularly harmful because it gives powerful physiological rewards, which, though illusory, can temporarily persuade us to overlook the serious deficits in the overall relationship. Or you could overlook the other pieces that are healthy, you know, other parts that are important in a relationship. Two people may marry for physical gratification and then discover that the illusion of union collapses under the weight of intellectual, social, and spiritual incompatibilities. 
Sexual fragmentation is particularly harmful because it is particularly deceptive. The intense human intimacy that should be enjoyed and symbolized by sexual union is counterfeited by sensual episodes which suggest but cannot deliver acceptance, understanding, and love. Such encounters mistake the end for the means as lonely, desperate people seek a common denominator, which will permit the easiest, quickest gratification. And of course here he's talking about premarital sexual relationships hindering but i think the same principles can apply within a marriage where where lust may may have come in and or been brought in and lust can be a very subtle thing um because it's in a sense the water we swim in culturally and and socially there's so much of it around us that it can be hard to distinguish whether or not we're bringing it into our lives regardless of whether one has a, a pornography or or other problem. Um, oh, I yeah. think lust is a, is a really tricky. Mm-hmm. It's a tricky thing to discern, and and to me, this quote really helps helps identify perhaps one of the the warning flags that that couples can look for. That are we fragmenting this part of our life out that. We're focusing so much on, oh no, we need to fix this part of our relationship that we're not paying attention to the whole of our relationship, the intellectual, social, and spiritual compatibility and and health of those elements of our excuse me, of our relationship. Um are we are we are we using sex more as a reward system? You know, if you do this, I'll do this, you know, I'll I'll give you this or if I'm if I'm really helpful over here, will you give me this? Becoming transactional, right? Um, or or if uh, if our relationship, we don't really know how to communicate with each other or do anything else. We, at least we have sex, right? I mean, that's just yes. There's there's just it just becomes a like you said a counterfeit for the oneness, and it doesn't hold up under the weight of of all the other things that are not brought together. Or it could be like he says at the end. Um, kind of a desperate solution. So I've seen this this happen um, in, in multiple situations with the women that I, I've worked with that there can be um, when, when a wife, now I've worked mostly with wives who have husbands who have pornography and lust, you know, lust compulsion or addiction issues. But but of course, that can be flipped. But I'm going to speak from the experience and the observations that I have had mm-hmm. um, with that gender situation, that gendered situation. So, um, it, when a woman discovers either that her husband is is back into his patterns of looking at pornography and masturbating, and you know, seeking sexual pleasure away from her that creates almost universally a, a sense of rejection and and shock sometimes and fear and sadness and a sense of insecurity and what's wrong with me um, and often even full-blown trauma kinds of, of responses. And I've often seen women who in that sense of insecurity or fear want to turn back to sex to be able to, as he says, seek a common denominator, which will permit the easiest, here he says, quickest gratification, but I would, I would place that with solution. 
like, okay, if we can fix this, then things will mm-hmm. be fine. It becomes a, a sort of false solution. Um, Brene Brown talks about oversharing being a, a way to hotwire a relationship. I think oversharing sexually when there's when there are things to really be working on in the whole um, can can artificially hotwire a relationship, even in a marriage. Well, right. And, and there's already enough, there's already enough pressure on women telling them they're not doing it right or enough anyway. That's right. So they're, that's coming, right. From a, they're coming from a place of, of insecurity, from a deficit, from a sense of shame already. And that just adds fuel to that fire for sure. And that's definitely not healthy, right? That's not coming. My mom used to say when I was in dating, mom, that love is sharing your fullness, not filling your emptiness. And when someone struggles with a lust problem, that's that's what is typically happening is they're trying to fill their loneliness, fill that hole in the soul. And and when a, when a woman's in trauma, she can respond with a similar kind of, I need to fill this hole that has been formed in my life. And trauma can, can often lead to sort of reactive um you know, impulsive kinds of response to, I've got to save the marriage and I, I've, I've got to make it better. I've got to, I don't want to hurt his feelings or, yeah. or either, or, or a husband may have gone the other direction where he's withdrawn sexually and she's feeling that agitation of, I got to have this. Mm-hmm. <laughs> what's, what's going on? You know? And, and so the wholeness in that kind of situation, I think includes often taking a step back not to minimize the importance of this part of a marriage, but not to rush it, to, to slow things down, to, to, to understand what's really going on so that they can make deliberate, appropriate decisions, which usually need to start with him seeking recovery and her seeking healing from the trauma and, and, and almost, almost, almost starting over, yeah, you know, to, yeah. to rebuild to rebuild a new relationship um, that isn't that isn't being driven by all of this the sexual energy run amok, you know that that it's it's kind of bouncing all over the walls and 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 doesn't have its proper place and and peace and trying to to have sex in that kind of situation can often make it worse. Well, and so many women who are in trauma are so disconnected from their own bodies that how can they offer that fullness when they don't even half the time don't even feel like they're even present in their own bodies and that's just such a that's one of the casualties of trauma and of course you know the men i work with as well who are struggling with addictive behaviors you know we want them to check in physically and emotionally check in with their own bodies because they're also uh in a lot of ways numbing out and checking out and so for for two people to to be sexual under those conditions, you know, creates the illusion that things are better than they really are, or that they're more connected in their bodies than they really are, and often leaves both of them feeling more hollow and empty, and her feeling used or traumatized. And then being confused as to why they feel that way, right? Because look, perhaps disclosure came later, and and so they thought, you know, as the wife thought that things were better, and the husband, you know, maybe he's, oh, I've got this under control. It's fine. Um, and so they think that things are fine and then it, things fall apart. But in reality, things had already fallen apart 
before they even really knew what was going on because mm-hmm. until the, the 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 problems with pornography or lust or masturbation any kind of self-pleasure outside of that relationship comes to light even if the wife doesn't know some very often somewhere inside of her she knows that something's not quite right and 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 the dishonesty that's often present really adds a layer to the the lack of wholeness in the relationship and so disclosure can be an incredibly incredibly uh, traumatic event and and you've talked to Jeff Ford about how that really needs to be done with therapeutic support so that it isn't just a a willy-nilly trickle kind of disclosure and that the couple's trying to manage it along but but I think disclosure if handled correctly and and deliberately can be really the beginning of a new a new relationship if they're both working toward toward healing right and so instead of like aiming go ahead Oh, go ahead. Instead of aiming for sex as the target, you're really aiming on more indirectly building these uh, these foundational pieces, the disclosure, which is about fullness, which is about wholeness, about bringing the whole truth and being fully seen and and for her to be able to know that she's asked all her questions and been able to – that they both know the exact same information. So there's oneness. There's unity there. As traumatic as that is, yes. as difficult as it is, it's such a critical building step because to enter into a sexual bond with another person when you don't really know them completely is traumatizing and damaging. And so this whole idea of improving sexual wholeness in a marriage starts way outside the bedroom and it's these foundational pieces like you said earlier – him starting a recovery process of facing his own story, facing the truth, her learning how, what her voice is, what her feelings are, getting in her body, starting to really focus on her own healing and recovery, both of them becoming whole people as they start to learn how to come toward each other. That, that process of actually having uh, fully present, like you said, fully uh, whole type individual, uh, I guess you could say two people that are f- – becoming whole individually, coming together um, in a sexual union like that. Um, there's so much groundwork, so much preparation for that instead of just rushing in and trying to just hit sex as a target. Yes, exactly. And and in fact, I think um, I, I have seen situations where, where, where women will say, well, we have great sex and, and, it's almost like they're measuring progress of the relationship or where her husband, you know, where their husbands are without seeing the whole of what's happening. So, you know, they, they may be having quote unquote great sex from that physical element, but in the rest of the relationship, there's lying, there's, there's gaslighting, there's blame shifting, there's minimizing, there's, you know, hiding, there's, that that sort of when someone is hiding things it shows up in other ways you know somebody's totally not living in integrity within Mm -hmm. himself that it's going to show up in other ways and so so yeah i say be really careful about about using sex as a measure for your relationship especially when it's been disrupted by by pornography and lust and 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 trauma Mm-hmm. Um, it can be really hard to step back and to be patient with this process because the process takes time. 
And I'm not saying, you know, don't have sex for five years until recovery is completely, com- <laughs> you know, uh, most, most couples will right. navigate this in a, in more of a nuanced way, but, but to do so deliberately and, and to give the relationship space to have, to have space to, you know, to take breaks if they need to. And, and, and to just slow it down because, you know, five years are going to pass one way or the other. And either those, those years, I'm picking five years because it's often a three to five year window where real recovery starts to, you know, dig its roots and, and become planted in, in a person. And that can kind of depress people sometimes. But, but I think if you know going in that it's going to take time, you can readjust expectations and yeah, and, it's and not, really relationships are mm-hmm. a long haul investment, you know. Exactly. So Yeah, and it's 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 about not not settling for That's right. You know, fragmented sex in the relationship. And it's not this all or nothing like, well, we can't have any sex or good sex until we've passed the five year mark or whatever. This is right. about saying we're not going to settle for subpar bonding experiences and just settle into some workaround routine just to have sex. It's about a couple committing to evaluating, thinking about, talking about, and really examining and understanding how it feels and being honest about it and and striving for wholeness inside and outside the bedroom. And that process parallels the other recovery processes that we've talked about. And they, they kind of grow together. But because, you know, these couples are living together, many of them are trying to navigate sexual intimacy through this, but to not settle into just a workaround. That's not going to work long-term. Right. To, to make, be really deliberate, like we're choosing to engage, knowing where things are. Mm-hmm. And, and and it can be part of a whole of a process of recovery too, right? That, right. Um, that, but but just, just thinking about that in terms of the whole. Um, there's another element of wholeness that I wanted to bring in, if yeah. I may. Yeah. Um, as, as I saw, so I've been doing this forum for seven years now and I, I think it was a couple of years in maybe that I started to see, so I'm a person who looks for patterns. I look for patterns both in terms of the problems or the needs and, and in, in terms of possible solutions and principles to help. And this was a question that just showed up a lot and, and women, they like, what do I do with this? You know, so they're, they can get guidance on boundaries and, and therapists can help them with healing their wounds. And, and, you know, they can go to, to groups for support and, and have support people, sponsors, you know, along the way and, and, and ecclesiastical leaders who can help them with, with the spiritual element. But this piece just always felt like a black hole. Mm-hmm. to them. They didn't feel like there were people out there talking about, okay, well, what do you do about sex? What do you do about healing this part of your relationship? And this is, you know, we've talked about one of the reasons why we wanted to open a conversation, not saying that we have all the answers, but, but to say, yeah, this is, this is a, this is a big question that comes. Um, and so I started, you know, I had some of my own opinions, but I started to I didn't want to just throw over my opinions because who am I? You know, I'm just I'm just one kid. Um, but I, I started to research to see if I could find 
materials and information that might be able to help them navigate this. And I, I found a book by Wendy Watson, who's now Wendy Watson Nelson. She was a therapist for decades. And she gave, she had a friend who shared a, a metaphor that I think is, is worthwhile. It's all metaphors are. It, it's, you know, it's not perfect, but I'll just read parts of it that, that I think get to another element yeah, of wholeness. That'd be great. Go ahead. This friend said, the two of you are the fortunate owners of a pool, a marital intimacy pool that can refresh and invigorate, soothe and relax. So here's, here's some of the intent of what it's supposed to be, you know, what it can be. There is a pool. This is a pool in which you can grow as a couple and in which each of you can grow into even more of who you are as a man and as a woman. However, there is a problem with your pool. It is contaminated. And then the friend go, goes on to say that because of pornography, because in this case there was an affair and, and, and you know, that just threw everything off. So, so the, the, the wife was sensitive to the lust that was being brought to the pool and the husband was feeling rejected. And so he was sensitive to that. And I mean, there are lots of different mixtures of what can happen because women feel rejected if their husbands aren't interested because they're, they're either they're, you know, so consumed with this self-pleasure seeking over here. And sometimes their bodies don't get aroused anymore with the real deal thing, you know, because their bodies have been so trained to to be aroused to pornography and masturbation without a real person involved. So there are lots of different ways that this contamination can, can appear and impact the couple. But, but she says, these things have poisoned your pool. It's, it's, it's no longer of a pool. If you, t- if you tip your, if you dip your, po- your toe in the pool, you're going to get, you're going to get contaminated by this, by all that's swirling around in there. Mm-hmm. So she's the, this friend says to the couple, you've made some efforts to clean out your pool. You've stretched a little netting on top of the water to take off the floaters. That is, you've stopped some of your overt behaviors relating to pornography or less addiction or resentment or, you know, what, all, again, all those mixture of things that can happen. Um, but the grime of these things, the residue of these things are still in the pool. You've tried a little chlorine consisting of a few apologies to clean up both the lust and the rejection and resentment, but that's not been enough. Something dramatic needs to happen now. Your marital intimacy pool needs to be thoroughly drained, cleansed from all the rejection and all the lust and all of those other things that, that, may, that may contaminate this part of a, a marriage, mm-hmm. and then filled with pure, clean water. Removing all the impurities by removing all the contaminated water is the only solution at this point. Only then can pure water be added. This will happen only with much work on both of your parts. This is, you know, recovery for the, the one with the porn and lust issues and, and healing for the one with trauma. It will involve major changes in your thoughts, feelings, and behaviors and working with the Lord in a way neither of you has done before. The Savior is the source of power to drain the contaminated water, and He is the source of living pure water. His pure living water will bring you the joyful, loving, and healing experiences that will cleanse, refresh, and buoy you up as a couple. And I would say, you know, first, like you said, as individuals to find your healing and then as a couple 
And I think when we think about wholeness, that the source of wholeness is Christ. And, and to be able, you know, in the scriptures, there's a distinguishing between healing and wholeness often, especially in the New Testament. And I find that intriguing in the context of this. You know, you can get some initial healing, you know, maybe you're, maybe the, the, the one with the pornography and the, the less issues has, has made some behavioral changes, you know, that there's been some sobriety and, and maybe the wife has, has started a process and isn't in full blown, you know, survival mode anymore, but still kind of tender and wounded. And, you know, the wholeness is where, where that healing moves to the whole of one's life and the wounds inside are healed and, and thought patterns and belief systems that drive either either pornography and lust problems or trauma that that those become you know those are starting to be healed and i mean the reason i do this forum is yeah yes because i saw the need but it's because i felt so much hope because i've seen the changes that can happen where people they 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 experience healing in a relationship with god that's beyond anything that they'd ever experienced before. And if they can bring that right. kind of healing to a relationship, that that's where we're really starting to talk about wholeness is when God has done his wonderful work to heal at that deep level and to, to change hearts. Mm-hmm. And, and when that kind of healing happens, just like addiction or compulsive behaviors or trauma, show up in all parts of someone's life, the same is true of, of a deep healing process. It shows up everywhere. Yeah, no, I love that. Yeah, this this concept of wholeness is, you know, I think so um, overwhelming for a lot of people because they've, um, I, I'm just generalizing obviously, but I think that sometimes sex, even in, even in our LDS culture is talked about as like a separate activity Right. <laughs> right. And so that this idea fragmented thing. It, yeah, I think we talk about it in a fragmented way as as something that we're just supposed to protect and, and obviously avoid. And but I but I love something that you wrote in here. You you talked about how purity is not the, the, the notion of puritanical. It's not it's purity is not the, the notion of not having sexual feelings, but but purity is about bringing all of you in a way in a str- with strong integrity and pureness and goodness and, and, and bringing that, all of that into a sexual bond with another person, with your spouse. And, um, I love that. I love that idea of purity. And, and that to me is when you're pure, you're whole, right? Like all of you, like there's, there's no secrets, there's no hiding. There's, and it's not that we're perfect. It's just that we're trying to be aware. We're trying to be complete. We're trying to be fully engaged, fully present in our bodies, in our spirits and our, our emotions. And we're just, we're doing everything with integrity. Yes, and I think I I mentioned this in in some of our interactions that I think often we talk about sexuality and the law of chastity, and, and I'm not saying we shouldn't do this. We talk about it in terms of the don'ts, right? Um, and and of course, you know trying to avoid negative consequences of premarital or extramarital sexual relationships, or even as we're talking about sexual relationships within a marriage that have been 
poisoned or contaminated by by lust um, and and affected by the impacts of trauma. But I I think I think there's more to this law. God's laws are not just a list of don'ts. Right. I, I believe that they are signals to the greater gifts that he wants to give us. Um, and and, and I, I just have a very strong belief that if we can accept, you know, that yes, we're sexual beings, that's the way God made us, and, and trust his, his laws and, and standards instead of trying to find ways to minimize them or work around them or, well, those don't apply to me anymore because I'm not a youth or whatever to, 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 to lean into them and to study the doctrines surrounding the law of chastity and, and why it is this, you know, I just read Alma 39 last night. Why is it that the violation of this law is so severe in God's, you know, list of, the most severe laws, you know, why? And, and Elder Holland, President slash Elder Holland addresses this really beautifully um, in, his, in his talks. But, but I just feel like perhaps collectively we're living beneath our privileges that yes. God is a being of light mm-hmm. and love and power and peace. And I believe that he wants to give more light and love and power and peace with relation to this law. That it isn't just restrictive, you know, it's easy to think about it in that way. But I believe that if we live more, it with more integrity to the light and the intent, God's intent for our sexualness, how it fits into the plan, and the power of purity as, as he, you know, as is defined um, in that larger whole, not just the don'ts, but what is this power about? You know, it's, a, it's his power of creation. It is, it's signaling what matters most to him in the plan and what he, he wants to give us someday when he, he wants to give us all that he has. You know, this is, this is like the microcosm of everything that matters right. to him. Right. Relationship and family and creation, these are these are all who he is. And so so when we, again when we fragment sex, we're taking away the relationship part and making it just a sensation or, you know, a physical experience when 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 it becomes either self-focused or even just fragmented in a relationship. I don't, you know, I think God's a lot more whole than just, you know, this, this piece of life. Um, I mean, I don't know how procreation works in the next life, but, but I know that he puts laws around this power for a reason. And I think it's, it's a foreshadowing of, of what he hopes as we develop discipline and character and integrity here, then he will be able to give us more 
then, you know, in the, in, in the eternal realms. But this is kind of a proving ground. Like, yes. what are you going to do with this power? Elder Bateman talked about this in a talk he gave at BYU that just always stuck with me. And I'm going to paraphrase, but he, he basically said, you know, how we treat this power now will impact whether or not we receive the fullness of that later. Right, right. But even in this life, I think that, you know, Wendy Watson's book is called Purity and Passion. And I love the juxtaposition of those two words mm-hmm. because purity can sometimes feel puritanical to people. Right. Oh, I've got to stuff these feelings and I've got to pretend that or I, I'm you dirty know. for feeling this. You yeah, know? <laughs> exactly. Right. But no, this is a godly thing, but it is, it is to be exercised or um, put in its proper place and order according to God's laws. He's the giver of this gift, this stewardship. He gets to, to put the bounds on that. And as we seek to understand it, I think that, that, that he can, I've, I, he can teach us things through the spirit that, that the world could never offer us. Yeah, and yeah, absolutely. And I think about. I think that's another element of wholeness too. You know, letting yes. the spirit be the teacher rather than the secular world. Oh no, kidding! Right, right. Because the secular world has an agenda around just pure pleasure, um, detached from any sort of commitment or or larger meaning, and it's very animalistic. And and I love. Well, and I think. Yeah, go ahead. So much of that is because the world doesn't know what it doesn't know. Yeah. Like we, we have this unique opportunity to understand all of this within the context of doctrine, reveal doctrine, restore doctrine, and to be able to ask God for insight. So my daughter, just yesterday, we were talking, you know, I asked her if she had any insights as I was preparing for this podcast. And she, and she said, well, I just read the reproduction section in my health book and I prayed before I read so that whatever I read could help me come closer to God. Okay. This is a 17 year old. I love it. And what came out of her mouth moved my soul so deeply. Like I felt like my heart was going to explode Hmm. and because she, she, she showed evidence of this very process that if we turn to God to teach us, he can, he can open things up and, and shed more light and knowledge on these things that can be life altering. So that's, that's exciting to me. You know, that that's wholeness. That's another element of wholeness is involving him in the learning process. Yeah. I love that. I love that. Yeah. I, I, uh, I think about where we go for information about this process around sexual wholeness or sexual intimacy. And some people just wing it and try not to look or talk about it at all. They just, you know, and I hear stories of that all the time. And then you have people who get miseducated by pornography or by the, by popular culture. And, and there's just, you know, or some people, unfortunately, tragically get educated about it through trauma or abuse. And there's just so much bad information, no information that it almost feels, it almost feels like it's just too loaded to go there or talk about or deal with. And I love what you're saying that 
we can petition our Heavenly Father. We can petition uh, for answers, for insight. He's the creator of our bodies. He's the creator of sex. He's the creator of these processes that are so holy and beautiful and, and passionate and fun. And there's just so much good around it that gets, like you said, contaminated when it's used in these other unholy ways that we're missing out on a huge opportunity for wholeness and seeking light and seeking answers and working together with your partner on that journey. It doesn't have to be about, well, let's just buy a book and read about some techniques. That's fragmented, right? right? That's fragmented. Right. It's, it's about how does this fit into our relationship? How does this make us both feel? How is this helping us come closer and grow? And, and, and it's not that it has to be all serious and heavy and it can't be fun and playful, but all that's done within right. the context of a secure bond of trust, honesty, there's just there's just that foundation of wholeness there that allows couples to explore and to experiment and to and to be playful and to and to really enjoy, uh, you know what what's possible or what what God I think has in mind for this type of experience in marriage. So I think out of that comes a question mm-hmm. that might be worth discussing. Two questions actually. One, um, do we have any thoughts on? what to watch for when you're looking for resources and, you know, both in terms of what to look for and what to be alert to in terms of red flags. Um, And secondly, what does an individual do if they are seeking this approach to more light and truth and, and inspiration and even revelation from God, but the spouse is not? Because that... Mm-hmm. That does happen. Yes. Um, well, you know, we talk about this in context of a couple working on it, but but sometimes it's going to be an individual working in isolation. Um, we're using the word isolation to mean something else here. So you understand what I mean? But yeah, they're they're alone. pursuing this and the, mm-hmm. the spouse is not not coming along for that ride. Um, yeah, can I'd we like talk to, about that? Yeah, I'd like to address the second things? question first if we could, because I think that... Okay. What comes to mind with that, at least in my experience, is that when couples are not on the same page with that, um, you know, it goes back to that saying that I love, which is you can only, we learned this in the temple as well, you can only go as fast as the slowest person. And and so I think that when you've got a, a partner, whether, you know, let's say it's a, a, a woman who's traumatized or a, or a man who's traumatized, I've seen this as well, a, a partner in the marriage who is, you know, has a lot of hangups or triggers or, or reactions, or there's just a lot of issues around this, you have to stay slow and recognize that the goal is not intercourse. The goal is intimacy and connection. And there's lots of ways to get that without being sexual, but with the goal of, of trying to seek light and truth around this. So when a couple's mismatched like that, it's, it's hard. It's, it, it involves long suffering and patience and kindness and all those traits that we learn in Doctrine and Covenants 121 for the, for the partner who's perhaps um, more ready or more willing or more you know, able to, to slow down and stay with them because the goal is connection, the goal is intimacy. And I do believe, in my experience, that when you meet somebody right where they are, they'll start to move with you. But that, that whole pulling process, and again, if you're dealing with a, a mismatch where you've got a, let's say a, a stereotypical example might be a husband who has been involved in pornography or sexual addiction and is um, 
is wanting to experiment or introduce things into the relationship and the other partner is not interested in seeking it out that way or is just so damaged or traumatized by it, then there's, to me, there's some very obvious things that have to happen in terms of his recovery, boundaries, accountability, and her learning how to get back in her body and feel and have boundaries and deal with her emotions and have a voice and things like that. That'll help align those guys a lot better. I think there's lots of reasons, but I think you have to ask, why is the one person going slower? And can the, and can the other person who's moving a little faster or is more energetic about it, can they slow down and really care about why that person's going slow? We can't go faster than the slowest person. That, that to me, is just a principle for good uh, attachment relationships. So can I bring in a different potential scenario? Sure. Um, I've also seen where, where again, because I work mostly with women, I'll speak in that kind of a, sure. a context, but a woman is starting to seek more light and truth and knowledge. And, and it sometimes it may just be that she has a journey to walk individually. I think about the story of Adam and Eve and how, you know, each of them had to make individual choices and Eve made a choice. And then, and, you know, she, she, she went back to Adam and said, Hey, you know, this is what I've done. This is where I am. This is, this is the direction I'm heading in. Where do you want to go? But there was the potential that he could have said, I'm, I'm just going to hang out here, you know? Um, so I think, I think there's a tension because there will be some situations where the signpost that, that a woman is getting from God may be just for her because her husband may be in a place where he's not moving um, or maybe moving the opposite direction. And, relational attachment or whatever may not be the right thing in that kind of situation. This is why it's so important to, right. why, why we can't, you know, we can't be prescriptive about, well, every situation is going to be like this because some, I, I have seen a lot of women who the more light knowledge they get, the further away they end up going from their marriage and, and it's a heartbreaking thing. And I'm not encouraging, you know, seeking to do that, but sometimes that just ends up being the natural fruit. One of the things that I say to women often is if you're getting answers, those are for you. That's right. Don't use them to beat up your husband. Like take right. the answers that you're giving, that you're being given and act on the best of what you know. And the healthiest thing you can have, the most loving thing you can do is have integrity to those answers and, and have boundaries that reflect the answers that you're given and then respect the agency of your spouse and, and, and observe, you know, observe what happens. Don't try to make him be where you are. Don't try to make him be anything. You know, you, you live in integrity with what you know and then see what happens and let, let the natural process unfold because sometimes men don't want to move. Sometimes men will go deeper into their stuff and, you know, sometimes they just aren't there and you can't make somebody be willing or ready to move. Right. So each so, person is, I mean, you're, you're, you know, you've essentially answered that question so wonderfully, which is each person, if they're, if they're mismatched, 
has to dig in and seek personal revelation. And that revelation may be to slow down and, and learn about what's going on. It may be just to seek answers and take action or move on things that may, may or may not create a crisis in the marriage, but to act on truth right. is, is the critical thing. Yeah, and and, mm-hmm. and God is a, is so aware of each situation. Yes. And, and it's it's a beautiful thing to watch when people really trust that, that, yeah. that they become, you know, this is the goal of this life. As, as important as marriage is to God's plan, the ultimate purpose is for us each to to walk our paths with integrity and and with with God's help with our own agency in response to whatever light knowledge we may have and 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 I've often seen how God will speak in different ways and at different times to people too so you know you may have one spouse who's getting answers and is making real progress but the other spouse doesn't really want to move and and but maybe you know in God's own time and way when that person is ready, then layers can start to peel off. So, so there's this really tricky dance of being able to agency so central to the plan that, that I think just like we don't want sex to be the goal, I think even a fixed marriage can't be the absolute goal all the time. It could be the fruit of this process, but to let go of outcomes, let the outcomes be God's and to, to just act the best we can in our own sphere with what we know. And if, if that person is ready, then, then the guidance will be, okay, meet them where they are, you know, be patient and, and hold space for their process, you know? Yep, exactly. Or it could be, yeah, keep moving forward because right now that's not where they are. And, 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 and a person's individual process need not be, stifled or stymied by someone's unwillingness or, you know, they're not being there yet in a way that, that could hinder that individual's progress. Does that make sense? Yeah. Yeah. And, and people can stay together. You know, if each person is seeking light, chances are they're, they're going to find a way in my experience, they're going to find a way to maybe even work their parallel processes. But if one person is not interested and is shutting down, you can still grow. You can still seek light. You can still get answers right. and heal. Let's and, let, and you can yeah. discern that. You can discern. Oh, yeah. God can help you discern that. That I've seen the same thing where that parallel process can actually be really powerful. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Even if they're at maybe different paces or yes. whatever. That. Yeah. Let's uh, let's wrap up with that last. Well, I guess what the first question was. Let's just wrap that up real quick um, about how can. How can you know if you're getting good information or you're seeking good answers, right? That's what you were wondering about. And the thing that comes to mind for me is um, I just think that if you're making a practice of seeking light in your life from divine sources and practicing living in light, I, I, I am absolutely certain you can discern between something that's degrading and false and fragmented and unhealthy and something that's enabling like more growth and building you up and bringing you closer both to God and to your spouse. I think that you can tell those things like night from day. I think you can feel it. I see it um, with the folks I work with. I've seen it in my own life. I just know that that's available to us to discern between dark and light, especially around something as sacred as um, our sexuality. 
I agree. Um, and I just want to add that I think in today's world, um, starting with doctrine and using that as a, a measuring tool, um, you know, being familiar enough with prophetic teachings and guidelines and standards that you can use that, you know, if, right. if, if there's encouragement to bring pornography into your marriage, I'd be really, really, really leery of that because the chances of that bringing light into your own life or into a marriage, I think are, are very low and the risks of, of letting darkness come in through the back or the front door is really high. Right. Because and those so, prophetic warnings have, all, I mean, there's been a lot of boundaries and warnings and teachings and guidelines around these things for the youth and for adults. And those, those things um, are based on truth. And yeah, I agree. Starting there is huge. Yeah. That, because then, then, then discernment, you know, that those, that becomes the building blocks of discernment. And to those who, maybe sort of conflicted still about, I'm not sure I want to pick all of those standards up for me. You know, then I, I taught a quote from president Irene comes to mind where he says, you know, if you're not quite sure about prophetic counsel, hold it in your hand for a while. Like you would sand that, that someone's told you may have some gold flakes in it, you know, just, just hold it in your hand and, and shake it out for a while. Don't just discard it, but right. But, but hold on to it and, and see, in my own dating experiences, I was single for 10 years. And there were times when I was like, ah, you know, maybe they're a little over the top here. You know, I, I was always <laughs> temple worthy. You know, I right. didn't engage in pornography, but, but like kissing and like, well, maybe, maybe they're a little bit, you know. Right. But right. as I, as I held on to that sand and really trusted what was inside of my spirit, I came to really understand why they give the counsel that they did. And, and I made changes in my life so that I could feel more in line with that. Um, and it, it really was a, a tangible difference. I have a friend who is close to 60, who by the end of the third marriage, she's like, all right, that's it. I don't need a man. I can just be sexual myself. And she talks about the misery that came and, and the lack of clarity and the kinds of men that ended up being attracted to her because her sexual energy was in that kind of pinball-y, mm -hmm. you know, it, it, it wasn't settled and and it, I, I just think there's a lot of power in, in trusting or, or even having a desire to trust and, and to hold space for what they're teaching and why, instead of thinking about it as puritanical, you or know, whatever uh -huh. to, yeah, to, to trust that there may be something more than, than meets the eye here. And yeah, there I may be that. some gold flakes here that you can't yet see. I love that. Yeah, this is great. Sexual wholeness in marriage, but especially in recovery where there's been so much fragmentation. And that's, I think, specifically why we're interested in talking about this with this particular audience in this topic of this podcast, which is couples that are dealing with betrayal and trauma and addiction. They are fragmented. They, they've, they've had lies and secrecy and trauma and addiction, and that, that splits everything up into pieces. 
And so the goal of not settling for fragments anymore, but learning how to embrace wholeness and learning how to get on your own two feet, seek answers, pull everything in, it can feel like an overwhelming process. But like you're saying, be patient with it. Look for the gold flakes, grab those, add them to um, your process, add them to who you are, integrate them and build on that over and over and over again. And you'll, you'll start to feel like a whole person and a whole couple. And, and if you're both doing that process, then you'll, you'll have that kind of unity. Any, any parting words, Michelle, on this? I think you summed it up beautifully. And, and as we, where we started, I think I'd like to end that I think these principles can apply for youth, for parents teaching their youth, for married people who are married who may not be affected by by pornography less trauma, but may want to increase the light in in their relationship for older singles who are either you know never married or previously married trying to navigate. I think that the the principles we've discussed can be applicable for anyone. I love that. Thank you so much. As always, it's such a pleasure to visit with you, and I look forward to having you back on in the future. Thanks so much, Michelle. Thank you as well, Jeff. You can find Michelle at hopeandhealinglds.com, and there she runs a blog and a forum for women who are dealing with the impact of pornography and sexual addiction on their marriages. And I just want to thank Michelle for sharing all of her wisdom and insight uh, just from her own personal work that she's done, as well as being the administrator over this website and interacting with so many great women over the years. Thank you all of you as well for listening to the Illuminate podcast. Please spread the word. We'd love to illuminate as many people as possible with the content here. And please stay tuned, and I will see you on the next episode.